0: You may not realize it, but you are in the presence of royalty this morning. Not only are you in the obvious presence of King Jesus, but your pastor is also the self-proclaimed post-it king. I am the self-proclaimed post-it king. You see, to remember stuff, i got to make notes. Right? So I make notes on post-its, I make notes on notepads, I make notes on scratch paper, I send myself texts, I send myself emails, all to remind me of important things that I need to remember. Now, one morning, I was in my kitchen, and I was pouring myself a cup of coffee, and I remembered something that I really needed to remember. And so I stopped what I was doing, and after a little pit stop in front of the TV, I made my way to the office, and when I got there, I forgot what it was I wanted to write down to remember. So I went back to the kitchen, and I commenced to preparing my cup of coffee, and then I remembered what it was I wanted not to forget, and so I went back to my office again, but you're not going to believe what happened. I forgot again what I wanted to write down so that I could remember it. Well, thankfully, later that morning, I was sitting in my desk, and I remembered it. And so I was able to write it down. But the problem is this. It's not only that I'm getting a little older, amen? It's not only that I'm getting maybe a tad forgetful, because I know one of these days I'm going to catch up with Brother Kevin, amen? But anyway, (laughs) right, Brother Okay. He looked at me like, huh? You're older than me, dude. Amen. But here's the problem. oh Sorry, I was getting a little too excited. I? I need to put some super glue on that. Better? Amen. So the problem was not that I'm getting older. The problem was this. Each time that I remembered something and wanted to go write it down, I got distracted. I got distracted before I made it to my office to write it down I forgot I got distracted about writing down that which was important to me friends do y'all ever get distracted I know you ladies are like multitasking queens and so y'all don't have that but a lot of us get distracted and that's our subject today we're gonna be talking about distractions specifically distractions that keep us from accomplishing Our God-given purpose. How many of you know by a show of hands, how many of you know that you have a God-given purpose? Amen. Every one of you should raise your hands because we all have a God-given purpose. But before we begin, let's remember this. That God has sent Nehemiah and he sent you And he has sent me, here we go, to make a difference. He's called us to make a difference. When Nehemiah got told about the conditions in Jerusalem, he recognized that God was calling on him to be an instrument of much needed change. There's probably something in your world where God is calling you to be the instrument of change. Because of Nehemiah's good standing with the king, his request to leave Persia and to make the two-month-long, 1,000-mile trip to Jerusalem was granted. And after he arrived in Jerusalem, he prayed for four months about what God's will was going to be for him to lead the people to rebuild that wall around the city of God. But listen, it would not be easy. Because we have learned that when God gives us a holy ambition to do something for his glory... We've learned that when God gives us a holy ambition, there will no doubt be obstacles that we will encounter as we look to accomplish our God-given purpose. God has given Nehemiah, and God gives you, and God gives me, holy aspirations to accomplish something great for His glory, and get this, also to accomplish something for the future of his people here. But with that holy ambition often comes great hostility. You see, local politicians had grouped up together and they wanted to instill fear in the the lives of God's people, but God's people faced their fear and they did the will of God anyway. Last week, we also found that there was sin within. Sin within the camp that has interfered with the success of God's people. But Nehemiah and the other leaders, they responded to the conviction of God. They followed with repentance, and they changed their ways. By doing that, Nehemiah shows us The importance of staying focused. He shows us the importance of keeping our eyes on the prize. Amen? But how do we do it? How do we stay focused on what God has called us to do? How do we keep our eyes on the prize amidst this increasingly prevalent distraction? Well, today in Nehemiah chapter 6, on or around 436 in the Bibles in front of you, we're going to identify four distractions that just might keep you from accomplishing your God-given purpose. See, if you can identify the distraction, then maybe you can learn to overcome those distractions. Amen? Amen. So in Nehemiah chapter 6, we learn that the first distraction to you accomplishing your God-given purpose is, believe it or not, insincere friends or so-called friends. Because anybody that keeps you from from, uh, doing your God-given purpose ain't really a friend. Got to get a testimony? In the first verse of Nehemiah chapter 6, I'm just going to read four verses quickly. The Bible says, and remember this is Nehemiah's journal, okay? He's writing down the events and all the things that happened as he and God's people rebuilt that wall. Here's what he writes in chapter 6. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors to the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come on. Let's get together and meet among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm, Nehemiah says. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work here. I cannot come down right now. And why would I cease to do the work to go down to you? But they sent me this message four times. They're persistent little boogers, weren't they? Sent this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. Four times. So insincere friends, so-called friends, can be a real distraction to you fulfilling your God-given purpose. We gotta be alert to those who suddenly start acting like they're our friends. Is that true? Now that the wall's almost done, the enemies. Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, they all of a sudden want to be buddies, right? And so they say things like, hey, y'all, come on over. Let's have supper together. Let's start talking about this wonderful success that you have had building this wall. But Nehemiah sees it for what it truly is. They were trying, listen carefully, they were trying to lure him away from the rest of God's people. The enemy was trying to entice Nehemiah into enemy territory. Does that sound familiar to you? It should because that's exactly what your enemy does. Your enemy tries to lure you away from the rest of God's people. The last thing that your enemy wants you to do is be here. Amen? Amen. The last thing your enemy wants you to do is you to be involved in a group of other believers that love you to pieces. Your enemy wants to entice you to be under the influence of the world rather than the influence of God. So friend, don't be fooled. Don't be distracted. Instead, be like Nehemiah. Nehemiah knows they're up to something, right? And he says, listen, God's given me a great work to do here. God has called me to a great work. I've got a God-given purpose, and I ain't got time for your distractions. So Nehemiah is able to keep his focus. Nehemiah is able to remember what's number one in his life, or who is number one in his life. Likewise, we need to remember that to come down is to step down. I'll tell you what I mean in a minute. To come down is to step down. But first, let me tell you about this story. Back in the early 1900s, there was a gentleman who was a missionary in China. And this fella did an incredible job as a translator and as a diplomat for the work of God. Well, his abilities were so outstanding that an American company that was there in China came to him, wanted to hire him, and offer him huge money and huge benefits. But he turned them down. He told them God had sent him to be a missionary in China, and that was exactly what he was going to do. And so what did they do? Well, they came back with a better offer. And what did he do? He turned them down again. And so they came to him one more time. And you know what they did? They doubled the money. They doubled the salary and increased the benefits. And finally he told them, listen guys. It's not that your salary is too little. It's that your job is too small. He said, God has got a great call on my life and I see to it that it's going to be done. In the same way, Nehemiah understands that to come down from the wall is to step down from the will of God. We need to remember that too. To come down from the work of God is to step down from the will of God. His job was just too big. To step down. And just like our enemy, the devil, Nehemiah's enemies were a bunch of liars. And all they wanted to do was harm him, not help him. And that's why being devoted to God, that's why being so in tune with his spirit is so absolutely vital in our lives. So the number one distraction, if you're going to accomplish your God-given purpose, is you need to be aware that you may have insincere friends. But there's a second distraction, and that is inaccurate words. Look in verse 5, and we'll continue to read. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before a fifth time, Golly, will this guy not let up? A fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And in that letter it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Mm-hmm. And the rumors are that you rebuilding this wall, that you, Nehemiah, are wanting to be the king. Mm-hmm. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying there is now a king in Judah. And now these matters will be reported to the king of Assyria. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Then Nehemiah says, I sent to him, saying, No such things are as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. They are inaccurate words. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. And then Nehemiah gives us one of his trademark breath prayers. Listen to what he says. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. You see, when insincere friends come your way and inaccurate words come your way, that's exactly what you need, is God to strengthen your hands. Inaccurate words. If you're desiring to accomplish your God-given purpose, you need to understand clearly that truth will not always be told. That's right. People will lie on you. They will lie about you. See, when their trap doesn't work, the enemy's true motives, the true motives of Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem are exposed And when they realize that they failed at luring Nehemiah out of the town, what do they do? Well, they just start the gossip mill. Amen? They say, we'll fix that boy. (laughs) We'll just start spreading rumors on him. Amen? And that's exactly what they do. And incredibly, that method, that approach, actually works. You see, over and over again the people in Jerusalem are hearing that Nehemiah just wants to be the king. That Nehemiah is on some kind of power trip and all he wants to be is the boss of everybody. And so Nehemiah has come all this way. He's come all this way for the good of God's people and they're accusing him for looking out only for himself. So how was Nehemiah going to respond to that? How difficult was that going to be? Well, we learned that we better be careful how we respond. In fact, you better be real careful how you respond to opposition. We must be real careful about which mountain you choose to die on. Y'all getting my drift? Because often this is important. If you're listening, say amen. Often, saying less says a whole lot more. Amen. Often, saying less says a whole lot more. When we're making a difference for the Lord, we're going to be criticized. Bank on it. When criticism comes, it's so tempting... To defend our integrity. But in most cases, I've learned that it's best to just probably take it in stride. Probably avoid saying much, if anything at all. Because if you'll just allow time to take place. If you will allow patience. If you will allow trusting the Lord to do the work. Then guess what? The liars are going to be exposed, and the lies will be exposed. So by doing that, Nehemiah shows you and I that we must look to the source of our strength. When opposition comes against you, while you're pursuing the will of God, make sure that you're looking to the source of your strength. I believe that Nehemiah was as normal as me and you. I believe he got hurt. I believe that he got discouraged sometimes but that he knows that these lies aren't true and he's still able to continue. How in the world is he able to overcome all these lies being told on him? Well, he keeps his eyes on the prize. He keeps his eyes on God instead of on how he feels. He asks God for strength To stay focused on his God-given purpose. So that first distraction to accomplishing your God-given purpose is, of course, insincere friends, so-called friends. But then it's also inaccurate words. People are going to tell lies on you. But there's a third one I want to share with you. And that is intimidating enemies. Go with me back to Nehemiah 6 in verse 10. Afterward, Nehemiah says, I came to the house of Shemaiah, and he was the son of Deliah, the, the son of Methabel, who was a secret informer, and he said, Let us meet together, this is important, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. Indeed, at night, they're going to try to kill you. And I said, should a man such as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all. But that he pronounced his prophecy against me because of Tobiah and Sanballat hiring him. For this reason he was hired that I should be afraid that I should act that way and sin so that they might have a cause for an evil report and that they might reproach me. Here goes another breath prayer. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to these works and that prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. So Nehemiah comes to this guy's house. And the lesson we learn about coming, him coming to Shemaiah's house is that under no circumstances can we fall for fear. All right? When God is for us, who can be against us, right? So we ain't falling for fear, right? But Nehemiah goes to the home of Shemaiah, and Shemaiah says to Nehemiah, Hey, buddy, they have to kill you. You better go, and you better hide, and I think I know the best place for you to hide is in the temple. Now, on the surface, that don't make a hill of beans to me and you. But what you need to know is, God's Word clearly says that it is a sin for anybody to go into the temple. See, the temple was a ministering place for priests, not a hiding place for governors. He was not allowed. Only the priests could go inside the temple. And friend, we need to pay attention to that. Because Nehemiah's example there teaches us something we need to know. And if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, you hear this. Nehemiah teaches us this. That if you are ever given advice that is contrary to God's word, it is not from God. Are you hearing me, church? You may get advice from sin from the flesh, from the world, from Satan. But if it's contrary to this book, it is not from God. And your spiritual antenna need to go straight up and you need to say, what's going on here? We have to be aware of the enemy's tricks. Nehemiah knew that his place was with God's people, not off hiding in the temple somewhere. He was part of something that was far bigger Just himself You see God didn't send Nehemiah To start a wall He sent Nehemiah To finish that wall And he calls us To finish well also But how Do you deal with people Who try to stab you in the back All the time See we need to know That God has sent you Not to occupy a pew We talked about this in our life group this morning. God has not sent us to occupy a space in a church building on a Sunday morning. No, He has called us to fulfill our God-given purpose in ministry, in using the gifts that He's given us. So we need to be aware, friend, that people are going to stab you in the back when you try to do what God's told you to do. Well, Nehemiah shows us the yeah, he's been stabbed in the back, and you know what? He's downright angry about it. But he also shows us that we must often just back away and allow God to dispense the justice. That's hard to do, isn't it? But sometimes we need to back off and let God dispense the justice. See, God knows their hearts, God knows their, their thoughts, God knows their corrupt motives. He knows, and we need to let him take care of them. In the same way, you and I cannot get into fear. We must keep doing what God's called us to do, no matter what. We must learn to evaluate everything according to God's will in our lives, not according to the distractions of some enemy. Distractions. Of insincere friends, inaccurate words, intimidating enemies. They will surely come as you seek to accomplish God's will for your life. But there's a fourth and final distraction that often comes our way. And that is infiltrating attitudes. Go with me to verse 17 in chapter 6. Also... In those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son, Johanan, was married to the daughter of Bethlehem, the son of Berechiah. That's a lot of names, Amen. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. Tobias sent letters to frighten me. Now, you might have noticed that I skipped a couple of verses there. Well, I'm going back to them here in a second. But first, we need to realize a very important lesson in the last portion of this chapter. And that is this. Under no circumstances can you and I afford to let our guard down. Don't let your guard down. The attacks are coming. The moment that you think you're through, you are through. Amen? Let's keep our guard up. We need to remember that the devil will never, ever, 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 ever give up until he's destroyed you, your marriage, your family, this church, this nation. That is his goal. He doesn't want you serving God. He certainly doesn't want you fulfilling your God-given purpose. See, what happens is here is we learn that Tobiah is related by marriage to one of the people on the inside. That's a problem. He's had inside information throughout the whole construction process of this wall. The enemy has infiltrated the camp. And that's a problem. Who could Nehemiah trust now that there were enemies inside the camp? Well, we learn from that that we've got to seek purity in all of our relationships. In every friendship, in every marriage, uh, in every co-worker relationship, we must seek purity. We cannot enter into ungodly alliances, especially in marriage. Friend, did you know that men and women should only enter into a marriage covenant? With someone who shares their same values without compromise? See, the enemy loves it when a Christian marries a non-Christian. Why does he love it when a a non-Christian marries a Christian? Because now the enemy can easily infiltrate that marital relationship. There's a problem there. There's a hole. There's a space where the enemy can come in. But not only in the marriage relationship, but also in the church. If we don't keep our guard up and we allow the enemy access, then people in the church can be often easily distracted from our God given purpose. Let us be on alert, friend. That we've got to keep our guard up. Now let's take a little quick look at those missing verses uh, there in 15 and 16 very quickly. So the wall was finished. Praise God. Amen. The wall got finished on the 25th day of Elul. And get this. In 52 days. They completed this incredible construction project in 52 days. Now we've been waiting on something for like 52 months it seems like, huh, brother? Amen. Uh, Anyway, you know how that goes. Uh, The wall was finished, 52 days, and it happened that when all of our enemies heard about it, that the nations saw these things and they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived, the world perceived, the enemies perceived that the work was done by God. Whoa, that the work was done by God. Praise the Lord. Mission accomplished, right? Right? The mission was accomplished. Don't you love those words? Mission accomplished. But not only was it accomplished, it was accomplished in amazing speed. 52 days was amazing. And it was done in the heat of summer. I don't know about y'all, but I don't like working outside when it's hot. Amen? But it was so miraculous that even their enemies recognized that God was at work amongst God's people. That kind of success is incredible. And it shows us that we must have courage to stay the course in our God-given purpose. Again, we realize that the devil will never quit. He'll never stop coming against you. He'll do everything that he possibly can to keep you from finishing well. He wants to trip you up. He wants you to... Get you to take your eyes off the prize so it can stop you from fulfilling your God-given purpose. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to shake off those distractions. Amen. And we're going to continue to finish well anyway. That's what the Lord has called us to do. Is that something that can be said about you? Are you going to finish well? Is that something that will be said about you when your days are done? Man, she sure did finish well. He kept his eyes on the prize. and He finished well. Friend, do you have courage to finish the wall? Do you have courage to fulfill your God-given purpose? Do you have courage, friend, to do what God has given you to do? What God has given us to do. See, because the enemy wants to distract you, we must relentlessly pursue our God-given purpose. The enemy will do all that he can to keep you from finishing well. He'll give you false praise. He'll tell lies on you. And he'll make sure that you're fearful, but don't give in. Keep your eyes on the prize. We know that because the enemy wants to distract us, we must relentlessly pursue our God-given purpose. Because we know this enemy wants to cause us to compromise our stand, to compromise who we are, to compromise the fact that we're Christians and we are a church family. Don't compromise your work. Don't compromise your walk in Christ. Don't give in. Keep your eyes on the prize. The enemy wants to distract you. And when he does, you keep relentlessly pursuing your God-given purpose. So let's stay at the wall. Let's make sure, friend, that we fight the fight, that we finish that race, and that we keep the faith that we finish well. Because the Lord has given all of us here, all of us listening, Incredibly, God-given purpose, and He wants you to fulfill your purpose in this life. Do you ever feel too weak to do it? Can I just acknowledge that I can? I do. I don't know do it. You ever thought, you know what? I'm just too sinful these nagging sins, these nagging attitudes, these nagging thoughts I think I'm just too sinful Lord and then I think of the greatness of the work set before us and I I say Lord I'm just too unworthy you can't use somebody like me you can't use me to accomplish this work you can't use me I'm, I'm unworthy to even belong to you much less do your work, your way for your glory. If you've ever felt like that, like I have, I want you to remember this, that God demonstrated his own love toward you and that while you were still a sinner, still unworthy, Christ Jesus died for you. And he was gloriously resurrected proving that God has power over death. And he did that for you. Can I just tell you this? We are too weak. Without him, we can't do it. We are too weak. We are too sinful. And I think we are too unworthy. But God wants to use us in spite of ourselves. And more importantly, he wants to spare you from the unbearable penalty of sin Imagine the worst thing possible, and that would be the penalty of sin. He wants to spare you from that, and he wants to spend eternity with you in heaven. That's his desire for you. So I pray that you will not be distracted. I pray that you will accept God's offer of freedom from that unbearable penalty of sin. And that you will accept the offer of eternity in heaven with Him. Will you relentlessly pursue your God-given purpose? I pray you will. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you that you love us so incredibly that you ain't letting go. You ain't gonna let go of me. No matter how Weak I feel no matter how sinful I think I am. No matter how how unworthy, Lord, that I am. You say, no, sir. I'm going to do a changing work in you and I'm going to use you for my glory. Father, I pray that every person in this building, every person listening online feels that in their heart of hearts. That you love us so much that there's nothing you won't do if we'll just yield our lives to You. Father, undoubtedly in a a congregation this large, there's somebody that has not yet come to Christ. That if their days on earth were through today, they would have to face that unbearable penalty of sin. Lord, I pray that instead of facing that, they would accept Your offer of eternal life in heaven that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, you have your will, you have your way in every heart today and we'll glorify you in advance in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and sing. Come as you will.